1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 20 and 21. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. All right, let's look at the last two verses of First Timothy. Um, as you know, uh, we've been calling this series Blueprints for the Household of God. Blueprints for the Household of God. And we've been calling it that because a blueprint is how you build a solid foundation. Right? If you want to build a building the way that it's supposed to be built, if you want to have a solid foundation and strong supports, then you need solid blueprints. They show you what a building project is supposed to look like. And without a blueprint, you won't know if you're making mistakes along the way. And so we're going to look to this letter. We have looked at this letter for the basis of how to truly live for the glory of God, the growth of one another, and the good of others in the everyday stuff of life. By way of review, let's look at 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15, where Paul just straight up tells us why he wrote this letter in the first place. He says in verse 14 and 15 of chapter 3, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. In other words, he says, hey, look, I'm writing to you so that you'll know how a Christian should conduct himself or herself in a local church, which is what he calls the household of God. And so we need a book like this. We need First Timothy because we live in this sort of consumer culture that revolves around com comfort and convenience. And, and you've even got entire churches that sort of lean into that, uh, and everything is tailored to meet our, our needs and our preferences <coughs> where no real investment is needed. But that's not the picture that we see in 1 Timothy. It's not the picture we see in the scriptures. The church is a family, a household that you belong to. And Paul wants churches to be healthy. He wants them to be biblical, to be gospel-centered, to be all about Jesus. And so he writes to Timothy on how to get this church in Ephesus there. That's why we need it. But do you know why the world needs it? It's because, <coughs> excuse me, as we just read... Because the church is a pillar and buttress of the truth. In other words, the church is where we see and find people who are spiritually dead, who've come to new life in Jesus. As we receive the word together, as we say it to one another, as we memorize what we've learned from this book together, as we serve together and bring the word to the community and the world together, the eternal truth of God lives on and brings hope to the world that needs it. And so here's right up front the big idea from these last two verses. It's that living for the glory of God and the good of others requires that we guard the spiritual truth of the gospel and rest in the grace of Jesus Christ. Here's point number one. Point number one where we find Paul's final charge, which is to retain all spiritual truth to retain or guard all spiritual truth. He says right there in verse 20, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. You can almost hear him bringing just the whole letter to a close here. He says, O Timothy. And when he says, O Timothy, that O is not a flippant O, like, like, like oh, I almost forgot to tell you. 
It's, it's, it's the kind of O that's used as a word for, uh, of endearment. It's a word of affection. Like if I were to grab my kid's face and say, oh, my son, oh, my daughter, I, I love you. I'm with you. I won't leave you. I forgive you. I'm here for you. Like if, if I were to tell something so weighty and significant and wanted to grab their face and say, oh, Geneva or oh, Haddon, oh, Judson, those are my kids' names. It's meant, that word, that word oh, is meant to stir up feelings of, of weightiness and gravity and, and significance. That tells us that what he's about to say has great significance to Timothy's mission and has great significance for the church's mission, for our mission, for the mission of God. It's a solemn plea from Paul to his number one disciple. And what is his affectionate plea? He says, oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Guard the deposit Right there, he's using everyday language of commerce here. You see, back then, when men would leave to go on a long journey, they would take uh, their, their, their valuables, and they would entrust them into, uh, they would put them in sort of a, a deposit box. And then you'd have this guy whose sole business uh, was to serve as sort of like a trustee who would watch over that deposit and make sure that it stayed unharmed, made sure that it stayed unchanged. Because that which you value, you will make sure you protect. And so Paul says to Timothy, hey, look, there's a deposit that has been entrusted to you. It's been put into your care. That deposit is the pure faith of the gospel. It's the apostolic teaching, all the spiritual truth that has been passed down from Jesus to the apostles and now from the apostles on to everyone else. Thanks, love. He's saying this is everything that this has been taught uh, by Jesus and the apostles and, and what it means to know him and follow him and to live that out with the spiritual family. That's what the good deposit is. It's what was given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the early disciples and then preserved by the power of the Holy Spirit in what we know as the New Testament. And so Paul himself, he actually has, talks about how he himself has also been entrusted with this good deposit of spiritual truth. He says that in his next letter. He uses that language in 2 Timothy chapter 1. He says, I've been entrusted with this, and now I'm entrusting you with this. And then he charges Timothy to guard it with his life here. A question I want you to consider is, do you value spiritual truth? Do you value truth? Do you value God's truth in the scriptures? Because we protect the things that we value, don't we? That's why we put locks on our cars and on our homes. That's why we put cases over our new iPhones. When you become a follower of Jesus, the spiritual truth of the gospel becomes precious to you. It becomes valuable to you. The gospel becomes the thing that you value most, and so you will protect it. You will guard it. And the way that you do that is you protect it in your preaching, your teaching, and your living. And to be clear, when we talk about guarding, 
spiritual truth, we're not talking about like how we like guarding it as though it needs our help. What we're talking about is guarding its importance in our church. We're talking about guarding its place at the center of our church. We're talking about guarding its purity in the way that we teach. One of the ways this is accomplished is through faithful teaching and preaching. The essential work of the local church, as what Paul said earlier, the pillar and buttress of truth, is not to try and do new theology. It's not to discover something new, but to know and to guard and to exposit and protect what has been passed down from the apostles and preserved by the Holy Spirit in the scriptures. You see, the way that faith grows, the way that faith endures throughout generations is by guarding it, is by passing it on. Timothy himself, he knows this. He didn't invent the Christian faith. No, he received it. It was passed on to him from his grandmother and his mom who, who, who taught him and raised him in the ways of the Lord. And then Paul met him and built him up further in the truth. He received a message. He received spiritual truth. And now Paul says, hold on to it. Guard it. Christianity, it can't be re-envisioned. It can't be reinvented or reinterpreted. It needs to be valued and guarded and defended. Listen, there's a way, there's a there's sort of a new way of doing theology um, that's been really just around the last like 150 uh, years um, is how long it's gained popularity in the West. But the way it's done is where each generation of the church uh, and its pastors try to work out doctrines for themselves. They try to find new doctrines and work out the scriptures for themselves with no credence given to how the apostles interpreted the scriptures, with no acknowledgement of how Christians before have done theology and worked out how to apply the Bible. I'll give you a modern uh, uh, sort of example from our current cultural context. There's a large church in our area that has recently made headlines for adopting a newer and more progressive take on the different roles that men and women play. And look, we've always maintained that men and women are created equally, right? In the image of God. And that means they're equal in dignity and value and worth. Absolutely. But they're also created differently from one another to complement one another. Complementary functions in the home and in the church where men are called to sacrificial leadership, which is modeled by Jesus and the early apostles. But now we've got a, a popular church in the area that says, no, look, the surrounding culture that we live in has changed. And so, hey, maybe we should change too. And so they turn to certain Bible verses while ignoring others. And they rely on shoddy Bible scholarship that has been disproven time and again throughout the centuries. Um, and, and, and they're like, hey, we're going we're gonna to believe in this now. But listen, we're not free to change what we believe based on one guy's feelings. We're not free to change what we suddenly believe based on the culture's pressures. The spiritual truth that is found in God's word is God revealing himself to us and revealing his will to us and what it means to live for him. And he's committed that to our care. And so we need to guard it. We need to protect it. Not 
Not leave it open to be changed and moved around and, and to swerve back and forth according to the whims of our culture. The world looks for new revelation all the time, but the church needs to offer that same old-fashioned gospel time and again. That's where we find the truth that we need. That's where we find the life that we need, the hope that we need, the joy, the fullness of joy that we long for. And so guard that good deposit, Paul says. Guard all spiritual truth. That's his final charge to Timothy. And now we see point number two, a final warning to Timothy. That final warning is this, run from all spiritual lies. So retain all spiritual truth, but also run from all spiritual lies. Verse 20 continues, and he says, avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. And he tells Timothy, hey, run from all this empty theological chatter you hear going on there. Because if you remember throughout our series, we've said that there have been people in the Ephesians church that are suddenly thinking they can teach something new. They say, hey, we've got something new, something deep and spiritual, and they've postured themselves as being wiser than Timothy, wiser than Paul and the apostles, certainly wiser than the other Christians in the Ephesians church. And these cats, they, they claimed to have new spiritual insights, but you look at how Paul describes them, he calls what they say irreverent. He calls it babble. The CSB translates it empty speech, like meaningless words that a baby just babbles. Contradictory, he calls it, false knowledge. Paul says, let me tell you about this so-called wisdom, this so-called knowledge being taught by some of the, the people in, in, in this church. He says, if it's not in the Bible... If it's not backed by the apostolic tradition, what Jesus and the apostles taught, if it's not all about Jesus and his grace, and if it's causing controversy and claiming to be something new, it's not from God. It's not true. It's not spiritual truth. It's irreverent and worldly. It's not only worldly, but it's empty. It's babble. It claims to be profound, but it's like a vapor. It's just empty and vain. It's false Knowledge, in other words, they're just spiritual lies. And spiritual lies are the most harmless type of lie. This is why guarding the truth and running from these lies matters. Spiritual lies are harmful. You need to know that. You need to know that what you believe as a Christian, it matters. The sermons you listen to matter. The songs you listen to, the Christian songs that you listen to and sing to, they matter, the words that are in them. The books that you read, the devotionals you pick up, they matter. Some of the stuff that gets passed off as Christian by, by major publishing lists teach things that would make the Apostle Paul roll over in his grave things that he would call false knowledge. The problem, Paul says, is that these myths get those who believe in them to place their hope in a false savior rather than the real savior, our Lord Jesus. In verse 20, 21, he says, by professing it, by professing this false knowledge, some have swerved from the faith. 
Listen, brothers and sisters, this, this is where I, I plead. I plead as your pastor. I plead with you not to gloss over this. You might think, you might think, no, man, I'll never swerve from the faith. But you need to understand that Paul is saying this to Timothy. Like, he trained that homeboy from when he was a young adult in the doctrine and ministry that he's now living out and leading in the church in Ephesus. You will be tempted every day to swerve from the truth of God's word and the hope of the gospel. Paul's not ignorant to that father. That's why he's pleading with his son in the faith to avoid these empty teachings. Hold on to spiritual truth until your last breath. You don't know when your last breath is going to be. It might be tomorrow. It might be decades from now. But from now until then, don't give up. Hold on to truth and run from lies. Hold on to truth and run from lies. Do it for your own sake and for the sake of those around you. You see, we need to avoid spiritual lies and hold fast to truth for the sake of our brothers and sisters around us in the church. When you look at, man, when you look at what, what the, the average professing Christian, that means somebody who, who says like, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. When you actually look at what the average Christian says they believe, man, the stats and info on this is horrendous. Every other year, Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research, they partner together to find out what Americans believe about God, what they believe about God and salvation and ethics and, and the Bible uh, in this, this biannual report they call the State of Theology. And each time they do this, the results are, dude, they're heartbreaking. Last year, in 2022, Christians... According to this, uh, a lot of them, there was an increase in the number of Christians who, uh, professing Christians who say that God changes and adapts over time. Which the Bible says, no, God is omniscient and immutable. He never changes. Christians, many of them also said that humans are born innocent and without sin. I mean, the Bible teaches the doctrine of original sin. It's like part of the gospel 101. Every human inherits sin nature at conception. We aren't sinners just purely by choice. We're sinners by nature and by choice. Even within regular churchgoers, many of them believe that the Bible is not divinely inspired by God, but it's just as good as any other religious writing. Many churchgoers said God doesn't care what religion you follow because they all lead to him and that truth is subjective. Paul would call that a spiritual lie from the pit of hell. And look, I'm not, I'm not trying to come across as like some narrow-minded, like, Fundamentalists, like the thing about the fundamentalists is they're more, they'll take what the Bible says and they'll go more narrow than that. But our job is to teach truly what the Bible says about who Jesus is and what he's called us to. I don't know how much you have to hate somebody to be okay with them 
just living their life based on a spiritual lie. Spiritual lies draw us away from the only hope that we have. It draws us away from the gospel. How did this happen in the American church to where you have all these Christians that are saying these things? I mean, you just look at an overview of recent American history. It tells us that the church landscape in America used to be filled with churches that preach the gospel and hold fast to the word. But since then, over the last century, you've had lots of churches that have wandered into liberal progressive theology. Others have just de-emphasized sound theology because they, they didn't want to like step on anyone's toes. They became passive with the truth. And so generations go by and people don't know much about the character of God. They question the character of God. Or in some situations, they just ignore God's will and authority in other situations. We all need to avoid spiritual lies and hold fast to truth for the sake, not only of those brothers and sisters inside the church, but we also need to do that we also need to do it for those outside the church. Those who are spiritually lost, those who are perishing, heading towards an eternity separated from God on a path that leads to hell. This is people that you know, people in your family, people on your street, people that you work with, that you know and love, who they don't know or love Jesus or they don't worship him as God. They're not followers of Christ. They're not reconciled with God through Jesus. And the danger of false doctrine is that it gets people, whether they're inside the church or outside the church, it gets people, false doctrine gets people to trust in and turn to a false savior. It's wicked. It leads to death. And so Paul says, run from spiritual lies and hold on to guard spiritual truth. Declare it with your lips and live it out with your life. The people around you, they need the hope that you have as a Christian. They need the gospel that you know. The only hope that can save. And so run from the spiritual lies that are out in our culture, that are growing in your heart when you're feeling selfish or you're wanting comfort or convenience rather than Christ. Run from the lies that come from false teaching and cling to the truth of the kingdom of God and guard it. This leads us to our last and, and, and final point where we find that our final hope in all of this, our final hope is to rely on the grace of God. The final words of 1 Timothy are a fitting conclusion. At the end of verse 21, Paul says, Grace be with you. What's interesting is that that word you is not the singular you, but the plural you. He's saying, grace be with you all to the whole church. That tells us that we are not alone in this Christian life. This battle that involves guarding the truth and running from lies, it's a battle and a race that you are never alone in. Not only is God with you, but the people of God, your brothers and sisters of Christ, are with you too. 
None of us, not a single one of us is engaged in this alone. You have a family of faith in the local church that is there as a gift to you. The church is God's gift to you to walk alongside you in discipleship, to help you grow in your faith. Lean into that. Why would you not accept a gift from the Lord? Why would you not lean into that gift and that privilege? He's given you a church. Lean into that. And what is it that we as a church, we all need? Look how Paul closes his letter, his final address. He says, grace be with you all. Grace. Why? Because after all that we've gone over, from 1 Timothy verse 1 to everything we've gone over over the last several months, there is nothing that we can do in any of this apart from the grace of God. Paul's reminding Timothy. He's reminding the church in Ephesus. He's reminding all the churches who would read this as holy scriptures. That includes King's Cross today in the 21st century. Paul is saying to us that we are always dependent on the grace of God. Grace isn't just what non-Christians need to be reconciled with God. It's what believers need to grow in the grace of God. John Stott puts it this way. He says that grace is God loving, God stooping, God coming to the rescue, and God giving himself generously in and through Jesus Christ. Just as those who are apart from Jesus need the grace of God to be saved, those of us who know Jesus need the grace of God to continue in living the Christian life. That's why we gather for worship each week. That's why we hear and receive the word of God. That's why we participate in communion. That's why we share in fellowship. To remind ourselves of that same old-fashioned, old-time message. Turn to Christ, the Savior of the world. He's the cornerstone of God's household. He's the living temple who rose from the dead. He's the capital T truth, the way, the truth, and the life. And so we rest in his finished work. It's all by grace. And so we rest in and rely on that grace. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.